Well, good morning and welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning and let's get ready just to worship our God, to give him glory for all he's done in our lives. He's such a good God and he is worthy of our worship. So this morning as we come in, may we be able to cast away those things that would distract us, those worries, those doubts, and may we just come before the presence of God and allow him just to come in and touch our hearts as we touch his. And so, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just come in and we choose to worship you because you are God, because you are loving, because you are kind, because you are gracious, because you've done so much for us. And today, we choose you. And so, Father, we want to give you glory in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So let's worship God this morning. So as we continue to worship this morning, I want to invite you to press in to worship God with all of your heart. You know, when we were praying in the prayer meeting before the service, uh, one of the scriptures that came to me as somebody else was praying was that this promise, it says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And there's several elements to that, but I want to just put this out there to you, that the purpose of God at work in your life is to give you victory over everything that Satan would bring. You know, uh, I was thinking we have, we have a, a, a brother that's just joined us, and he has some physical challenges, and I'm believing, and I want you to b- join in believing with me that like Paul's healing this last year, that we're going to see complete and total restoration. And You know, because when Jesus saw somebody in bondage, when he saw that woman, he said, he said, should not Should not God deliver? Would not God want to deliver this one whom Satan has bound all of these years? So the purpose of God is to destroy the works of the enemy. So as we're worshiping God, we're drawing near to God because these things cannot continue to exist in the presence of God. The closer you get personally, the closer we get corporately to the presence of God, the more these things just begin to melt off of our lives. So, Father, we say in the name of Jesus, be lifted up because, Lord, it's your plan to deliver us. It's your plan to give us peace. It's your plan to make us victors over the works of the enemy in this day. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Let's just declare the name of Jesus. Speak his name. Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, Captain of our salvation, Jesus, Beloved of the Father, Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. What is in a name? What is in a name? What is in your name, Lord? What is in a name? What's in my name is nothing much. But in his name, in his name is all power, all authority, both in heaven and earth and under the earth. And he has given us that name. He has given it to us. He has given us that name. In his name, we can do all things through Christ 
We can do all things. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your name. You laid it all down. You didn't even keep your name to yourself. You laid it all down, Lord. You gave it all, even your name. I thank you, Lord. Just in this moment, I want to encourage you that as we're worshiping God and even as you're watching people begin to raise their voices and to declare the name of Jesus, all we're doing right now is inviting Jesus to come into our life, to come into our situations, to come into our problems. And at the same time, we are declaring who He is, this amazing God that right now, in the midst of whatever's going on, He can come in and He can begin to shift. He can begin to transform whatever that is. So just begin as we're worshiping to lift your voice and to declare the name of Jesus into those things because that is the only name that can come and remove that stuff to remove those things that constantly haunt you or get in the way is the name of Jesus. So just begin to declare that. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come in and transform my mind. Jesus, remove the blockages in my heart right now. Father, draw me closer to you so I can be free in the name of Jesus. So just call on his name right now, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I just want to I want to share something that the Lord was showing this. There's just a, a really wonderful open open presence, an open uh, heaven here right now. It, just so if you're aware of that or not, but but there are times when you have to press in, it's harder. Other times it's simple. That right now I find it's a real simple thing to enter in, but as we were worshiping the Lord, good things always happen in worship. But I was, I was, all of a sudden I found myself saying to God, God, it is absurd of me that I can even think that I can bless you, that I can bring things to you. You're the God of the universe. And in a flash, I mean, this isn't like a conversation, but in a flash I'm thinking, yeah, it's absurd. What can I bring you? You're the God of the universe. You're the, you're the God of all, and what have I got to bring to you? And he showed me, and that moment, all of a sudden, it was like a flashback of Lynn and I sitting around at Christmas time, and our children, Miranda, when she was like four or five years old, and she was creative, and, and, and then they would bring their Christmas gifts to us. And of course, it wasn't anything great. It wasn't a big new TV or, or anything of substance that we would say, wow, this is what I really needed. No, it was a, a, a card with her heart in it saying, oh, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mommy. And, and, and she'd go and buy with her, her allowance of 25 cents or whatever, little things that she'd decorate it with. And then I saw our grandkids who were doing the same thing. And I think most of you can relate to that, where, where that... And the joy, like the smile, it would actually bring tears to our eyes. Well, you know what? They, they grow up and they start to buy us more substantial things. And we don't even have most of them today. But we still have those cards. Because we still look at those and we still cry. And we still smile. Wow. And, and it was like saying, that's what you bring to me is what the Lord says. When you come in and worship me, and with your praise, he says, you are giving me love letters like that that are eternal. 
Those are eternal. And it brings tears to his eyes. I saw the Lord, the Father, like, just like tears of joy in these moments right now. And whether some of you are maybe thinking that, like, well, what, what, what good is this? What can I do? And that's when the sacrifice of praise comes in, that we enter in, and, and it brings that joy to that degree to our Father. So we declare the name of Jesus, right? That's what we do. And for some of you right now, I sense that your faith is stale. And I want to encourage you right now, if that is you, it starts right here by declaring the name of Jesus into that right now. So let's declare the name of Jesus. If you need healing, if you need a touch in your body, come now. Come and stand right here. People are going to come and pray for you, and I believe there's going to be breakthroughs. We are contending for healing in your body, a reversal of everything. Lord, we declare in the name of Jesus. So some of our elders and those that feel you have a a healing anointing, uh, Tyson, Tyson, come and pray. Others were, come on. Hallelujah. You know, it's God's plan. It's God's plan to set us free. But there is a predicament that he has in terms of setting us free. You know, he talks about uh, freedom from sin, and yet he says, There are those who, like a dog, returning to its vomit, return to sin. And so there's two aspects of our deliverance, not only from sin but from sickness. It's a question of when God gives you a freedom, can you maintain it? And that comes down to how much you want it. And so there's this two-pronged thing that God is doing. He's, He's doing miracles. He's doing signs and wonders. But he's also divorcing you from the things that bring you slavery. He's separating you from the things that bring you into bondage. But if he knows that you don't want to be separated from those things, then he's reluctant to bring you into freedom because he knows you'll just go back. So a lot of the times what God is doing is he's gradually bringing us into deliverance. And that's why he talks about renewing our minds, renewing our minds, changing the way you think. Because when you change the way you think, you change what you like, you change your preferences, you change what you align with. And that's what God is doing. He's aligning us with Him. Let me share one more picture. Um, There's a a movie, X-Men, and in the movie X-Men, there's this character who is evil. His name's Magneto. And what he has as his special power is he has control of any metals. So what happens is he's in prison, but everything is made of non-metal materials because any metals that come in there, he could actually control and contort and make them whatever he wants. And so uh, if somebody comes in and they have titanium in their body, let's say they have that titanium you know, joint or something like that, he could actually pull that metal out of the, uh, you and turn it into handcuffs. And so 
Uh, this is the principle of the kingdom of God. God says, listen, I'm trying to pull out everything from you that the enemy can use to bring you into bondage. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, my, what I'm trying to do in your life by renewing your mind, by changing how you feel and how you think, is taking away from you all the things the enemy, that the enemy has control over so that he can't control anything in you. Because then you'll be able to say, like my son, the prince of this world is coming, but there's nothing in me that he has access to. There's nothing in me that agrees with him. So I can't be brought into alignment with him on any level. When that's the case, then that is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. That's the manifestation of the freedom to which you have been called. And it, so don't be surprised if it takes more than a month. You know, some things will happen quickly. But some things will be an evolution of changing your mind and the way you think. And a product of the choices you make. Monday through Saturday. Uh, one of the things that I felt, and as Pastor Mark was just sharing at the end there, uh, one of the tools the enemy uses is he really tries to make us apathetic and discouraged in our faith. And uh, I've gone through many of those seasons, and I felt this morning uh, a few times during the service that are some of us that are in those phases where you know, maybe we're apathetic or we're discouraged in our faith and we just can't get past that rut. And I felt this morning that God actually sees that and he wants to actually touch you this morning. And uh, he reminded me of a time in my life when I was in such a rut. And uh, I actually remember, uh, I don't know if you've had these discussions with God, but I remember actually praying, God, why, why does it seem like I just don't love people right now? In that season, I actually remember asking God, where's, where's my heart of love gone? Where's my passion for you gone? And it's a frustrating thing when we actually begin to walk in that because what is the remedy for that? And I remember, you know, reading my Bible more, praying more, and it just seemed like I couldn't push myself out of that moment. And this morning, the Lord reminded me because I was actually working with Watoto, and I showed up in the middle of a church and I remember being discouraged, and I had to preach that night. Now, think about this. Coming to the front of a church, and I had preached in six months about 350 times, and not actually having a love for the people, and the frustration that comes with that. And I actually remember in that moment, God told me that he was about to shift it if I continued to pursue him and love him, that it would break. And that day, I'll never forget it. It was in a place called Fountain Hills, and it had this big fountain there, right? And God showed me that this is the day. This is the day because of your faithfulness in pursuing me. It's going to break. And I want to encourage you today, don't give up if you're in that place of discouragement. If you feel your faith is dry, don't isolate. Don't pull away. Don't hide. I want to encourage you that there's a new season coming upon the church. Okay? And I don't prophesy much, but I'm going to prophesy this. There is a new season coming upon the church, not just the church of Spruce Grove, right? The church of Canada, the church of the nations, right? There is a new season, but I feel specifically there is a new season for this church, and it is coming. There is a lot of excitement coming to this church, but it starts with the body of Christ catching this, that we need to be excited about our faith in Jesus because they're coming. 
they are coming. He is going to transform this church. He's going to transform this community. But it starts with this body. And I'm telling you something. It's time for us to get excited about our faith again. I feel it. And I feel where we're not. We're going to have to fight through that one. Okay, don't rest in that. Don't actually accept that. We got to fight through that because we're not just fighting for ourselves here. Right? We got to catch that. We're fighting for millions and millions and millions of people. And so, God, put it in us right now, I pray in the name of Jesus. That fight to push through that apathy, that discouragement, God, that we would refuse to give up. But they would fight for one another in this room, that we would fight for our community because the season is coming. And I want to encourage you with that. Get excited about your faith and your journey in Christ because it's about to happen. Can we agree with that? I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right. I just want to share a couple of things. I'm not going to be super long. It's going to be normal. I was, I was reading and feeling some things from the book of Hebrews. And it speaks to this confusion that we have around new covenant and old covenant. And I want to try and talk about some of, of where the overlap is. What is the purpose and significance of the old covenant as it relates to the new covenant? And what is the new covenant? What is the old covenant? What is the new covenant? So I just have a couple of ways to illustrate that that will perhaps give us a sense of where God is taking us um, in terms of these covenants. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 8. So Hebrews is a book that's somewhat complex. Actually, people tend to shy away from teaching on Hebrews and Romans because they're they're some of the most complex books in the Scripture. But but here's a verse, 8 verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. Think about that for a second. Here's the writer. This is the main point of the things. Are Do you know why that's significant? <laughs> right? He's just, he's just written seven chapters of stuff, right? And uh, chapter 8, he begins the, you know, and of course when he wrote it, it was just a big long letter, right? There wasn't actually chapters. But here he is, you know, how many hundreds of words into it. And he says, now this is the main point of what I'm saying. Because maybe, maybe there are rabbit trails he was covering. They say, this, this is the main idea. You need to get this main idea. So, well, that's, uh, okay, my ears are up. I am attuned. What is the main idea? We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not Man, so we'll stop right there. This is this is the idea, and this is what he's saying. Okay, the old covenant, the Old Testament, right? And he says this later is a picture of things that are in heaven. Let me say that again: the the stuff that happened on earth, like what what do he say? Uh, well, I can't express everything that the law said, but there's rituals, there's things about washing and cleaning, and all the rest of that. He said this is actually not about the earth. This is about something in heaven that we figuratively transpose to the earth in order to introduce you to something that is not as earthly, but heavenly. So the old covenant is sort of a dumbed-down version of heaven. And one of the analogies I, I, I gave years ago, 
But when you go into, let's say, the municipal city and there's a proposal for a new development or a new hospital or something, sometimes you'll come up and they'll have this tiny, you know, one to 200 scale version of the thing that is being built. And you go there. Now, we know that's not the thing, right? And we know that all the rules and all the regulations related to what you can and cannot do with this thing are not actually how it's going to be later. That, that some of those rules, like when it says, you know, do not touch, right? When, when, you, when we actually build that building, the full-size scale hospital or whatever it is, there's not going to be a sign on the door that says do not touch, right? So, that, you know, the rules as applied to this version and the rules as applied to this version are not the same. And so when we're approaching what is the Old Testament or the New Covenant, you know, some of the rules that are in place in the Old Testament were temporary rules because of the nature that this is just a figurative version of the real thing. So, so on one level, okay, what Israel was tasting is not the real thing, though it was real. There was a manifestation of God. There was a real tabernacle. But that tabernacle that Moses had, that was an, an amazing thing, right? The tabernacle of David, the tabernacle uh, of, that Solomon built, you know, the temple and the glory came and, and you couldn't go in or you would die and, and all of those things. I mean, it was spectacular. It shook the earth. It was so amazing. Well, all of that, all of it, the greatest elements of that thing, even, you know, Moses's uh, I mean, sort of Solomon's temple that, that the priest could not even stand to minister when the presence of God came down on it. All of that is the little scale model of the real. And so the new covenant is you experiencing, tasting, and knowing the real. Okay? This is what the old and the new covenants are. One, one picture of how they relate to one another. So this is the, the reason he's writing. Now he's writing, it's called the book of Hebrews, right? Because it's fundamentally written for Hebrews. Because the Hebrew Christians had, had an issue, right? Because they, they could not separate themselves from this thing. Their culture, their language, their, their, their history, their... Uh, you know, their, their upbringing was all about, you know, glorifying and magnifying and making special all of this stuff. And then they began, become a Christian and they're like, well, what are we supposed to do with all of this? You know, and some were saying, no, 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 you need to, you need to embrace this the way we embrace it. Otherwise, you can't be a Christian because Christianity comes out of this. And that's where the big confusion comes. So here, I mean, there was a number of challenges. If, you re- if you've read the Bible, you know that there were challenges around those who couldn't get their mind out of Ju- classic Judaism and into what is this new covenant about and what's the overlap and what can we do and what shouldn't we do and what is related to only this and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So here he's writing to these people who are stuck in this mindset. He's saying, listen, there is another sanctuary there is another place. There is another uh, amazing, uh, uh, real uh, expression that's in heaven that's coming to the earth. And what we're trying to do is get your heart attached to that one rather than this one. And so that's why he says, this is the main point. We have such a high priest who is seated 
on the right hand of the throne of majesty. Now, in other, way, in, in other places, we see a reflection of these same sentiments, right? Because when Paul is writing, and we're not exactly sure who wrote this, uh, and I'm not even going to get into the speculation around wh- which apostle wrote this, but we have Paul who writes in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the tabernacle not made with hands eternal in the heavens. He says, when we lose this body, that we suddenly, we, we have this, this other thing. And so he says, uh, looking not, then we're looking then at the things that are eternal and not the things that are natural. So again, the heart of the whole covenant, the heart of the whole promise and everything else that God has given you is to connect you with the eternal version of these symbolic things that are on earth. So Father, I pray today, God, that we will, we will be able to see the new through the old, but will not be limited to the old. Father, I pray that the revelation, God, that is in heaven right now, Lord, that you would bring us into that place where, where we can fully, fully, completely relate to that and connect with that. Now, um, the weakness, let me just say this. That's, that's, so so this, there's some of the purpose of the Old Testament. The weakness of the Old Testament is expressed in this scripture, and I, I copied it down here, but I didn't see the reference. But on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. It's also Hebrews. I know it's in Hebrews. So he says, listen, the problem with the old covenant is the problem, is this problem. The old covenant doesn't change you. The old covenant doesn't do anything for you on the level of transformation. What the new covenant is, the new covenant is about transformation. It's about, and this is the, 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 the heart of some of those promises, and you'll, you'll read it here when we go over some of these passages possibly. But he said, the promise is this, the law that was in the Old Testament, I'm now going to write this on your heart. Okay? And so what, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm not going to have this list of rules out there that you have to do this, you can't do this, and everything. I'm going to put in you an understanding that these are the things that uh, allow for life and these are the things that hinder life. Now, we do that in other circles as well. It's the same as what you would do in every other, in, in, in every other sphere of life. Think about agriculture for a second, right? When kids are being told to water the plants, they're given very specific instructions. Those, those instructions that they're being given are to make sure they don't kill the plants, right? So, you know, they say, okay, put in this much water and only this much. And then later on, the kid watches mom or dad, and they're putting in more than they said before. They say, hey, you're doing it wrong. You're not following the rules. You said it could only have this much. And then mom says, well, yeah, I said that, but that was a guideline for you because you don't understand the nuances of what will kill a plant and what won't kill a plant. So I gave you a safe level, but it's not really the exact representation of what this thing needs. In other words, this, once you really start to understand what a plant needs, then you're not, you don't need the rules anymore. That you don't need the list of things to do and not to do because you know. You, just, you know, you know, don't, don't let the cat 
pee on that one, right? You know, instead of that being one of the list, do not let cat pee on the plant. And I say that because my daughter's cat likes to pee on our plants. So hence, they're all in our bathroom upstairs in our, our bedroom. <laughs> because the cat doesn't understand the law. <laughs> I wish we could give that cat the law. And, you know, we, we wouldn't have to hide all the plants. So, so I want you to see this picture, that, that when you understand the necessity of the law, stops. Now, does that mean that you do everything now in contravention of that law? No, you just naturally do everything in agreement with that law, just not precisely exactly as the law said. Does that make sense? So, uh, the, the, the law is an artificial version of the real thing that God is going to do in your heart. And, and, and again, the, the other part of it, and this is the frustration... And what the, what the Hebrew writer is trying to say to them, he said, listen, it's great that you honor the law, but you need to understand the purpose of the law was not to make you perfect. The, perfect, the purpose of the law doesn't change your nature. The law says, no, if you do this, it's bad. But the problem is you may still want to do that thing that's bad. What the new covenant is, is something that goes into your heart that changes what you want so you don't have to be told, don't want that anymore, because you just don't want it anymore. And you don't have to be told, don't do that, because you just don't want to do that anymore. Why? Because you've, been, you've come into an alignment. Now you are, you're thinking like God's thinking. You know, it's like, don't eat too much chocolate. You have to tell that to kids, because they don't understand. They just, but it tastes good. I don't understand. Why not? You know, some adults too, right? <laughs> Sometimes, all the time. But I like McDonald's. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, uh, I like chocolate, right? So, but eventually, you start, to, you start to govern yourself. Because, you know, if I follow these, these appetites, uh, they will lead me to unhealthy choices. So, well, well I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Well... You can and you can't, because there's things that eventually will say to you, you can't keep doing this. Why? Because you're going to die. Well, I like chocolate. I can just eat chocolate. Well, who said I can't? I'm, on, I'm free. I'm not under the law. You that, you know, you just eat vegetables and, you know, minimal amounts of meat. What's the matter with you? Aren't you free? You should be free. See, that's the, that's the, the spiritual version of what we, we do around Old Testament, New Testament. And God is saying, listen, yes, you're free. You are free, but he says, you're free to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And so the wisdom of God, the mind of God, the transformation of God is, how are you built? What's good for you? What will bring you into things that cause your life to prosper? It's not about laws and rules. It's about how how can the best version of you be realized? God is not a killjoy. Do you know God made wine? Do you know God made food? You know, oh, you know, I feel so guilty enjoying this great food. No, no, no. God wants you to enjoy food. God wants you to enjoy the things that he's made. God is the author of the good life. He said, I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. But the thief comes to steal 
kill, and destroy. So, this is the main thing he says. And then in verse 3, he says this, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would have not be a priest, since all priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy, uh, who served the copy and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For God said to him, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you in the mountain. But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as also he's a mediator of a better covenant which is established on better promises. Man, that's a lot of writing. You can tell that a teacher wrote that. <laughs> I, I love teachers, but it's like, it's like, really? Is all that detail necessary? Well, first of all, all that detail makes no sense at all unless you understand the covenant, unless you understand the priesthood, unless you understand you know, all of, the, all of the, the formations and the rituals of, of the law. So in, in short, in short, it's this. God is saying, listen, the promise of the old covenant is if you do these things, you're going to prosper, and if you don't do them, you will die. That's great. But furthermore, it said, all of these things are mediated through men. All of these things, are you have the high priests and you have priests. You have people who work in, in the work of the, the temple, and they administer all of these things for you. He said, what's going to happen is, is that God is going to transfer all of these things into another kind of relationship where you have direct access to the new mediator, which is Jesus Christ himself. Now, there's a couple of things about that. One of them is this, is it removes the exclusivity of the priesthood. It removes the exclusivity of the priesthood. You know, I, I grew up Roman Catholic, and I mean, a lot of born-again Roman Catholics, so I don't have a hate on for any Roman Catholics. They're, they're great. I have no problem at all. But the problem with the theology of Roman Catholicism is that it hasn't gotten past the priesthood. It hasn't embraced the priesthood of the believer. And it's the idea that you have access to God and you have access to God and you have access to God and you have access to God. And so the promise is, and the new promise is, that, that there are, there are, is, it's a, there's a better covenant and better promises, but more than that, you have direct access to the person who's mediating the covenant. Jesus himself. Now, uh, I, may, I may bounce around a bit with this. One of, the, one of the best parts of that, and I'm trying to find where that was. Maybe somebody can help me. But it says, you won't have... Oh, it's verse 11. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there's no place would have been sought for a second. So he's making the case again. Again, he's convincing... Who is he convincing? Hebrews. He's saying, listen... This one is not faultless because even when God gave the first one, he said, I'm going to give you another later, right? So he's saying, that he's saying, why would God say that if the first one was complete? If the first one did everything that you needed to do, Hebrews, why would you need a second one? So he's saying the second one is bringing you into the fullness the first one was just talking about. Because finding fault, verse 8, with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, 
because they did not continue in my covenant, and I would disregard them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What is that? It's a, it's a more direct connection. It's, it's like, wow. It's kind of like the scripture that it's in First John it says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you have no need that anyone teach you, because the Holy Spirit himself teaches you. Wow, that's great. Does that mean we don't need teachers or speakers or pastors? or leaders? Well, I don't know. Of course it doesn't. But not the same way they did in the Old Testament. That's what, that's what we're coming to. And here's the, here's the part. Verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So many things I need to reference here. But the obsoleteness of the old is not immediate. Okay? He says, the obsoleteness of the old is passing away. Let me read this again. In, in that he says, a new covenant he has made, the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That's very interesting. Uh, why isn't it just suddenly? Why isn't, it, why isn't the insignificance of the old covenant just immediately, you know, it's no, have nothing to do with it. Why? Because we are only gradually coming into the new covenant. And this is the point, that coming into the new covenant is about transformation. And so God is bringing you into the new covenant. When you come into the new covenant, you have the transformation that makes the old not necessary anymore. But if you are only partially in the new one, to the degree that you're not in the new one, you are still in the old one. But I thought God said he's gotten rid of the old one. No, it says he's passing away. It's kind of like the, the true light is shining, shining and the darkness is passing away. Woo, woo, darkness is gone. And that's not what he said. He said darkness is passing away. You know that midpoint between, you know, uh, in the morning when the sun's coming up? Oh, it's, it's not full day, it's partial day. I see the light, but the light is not as clear as it's going to be. So... Why is this important? And I, Again, I can go a lot of directions because some people say, well, you know, I can do what I want. I'm not under the law. No, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, all right, think of it like this. Here's the law, all right, is the law is this, 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 this world because the law comes out of God. And he says the law is good. The law is a reference to God's nature. It says, these are the things that are permissible in heaven. These are the things that God loves. So don't do anything that's not these things. And what he said, now there's a smaller circle in there, but if you come into this, if you come into the new covenant, it actually is, it, it solidifies the greater law in your heart so you don't ever want to do the outer law. But if you actually want to do the things that are forbidden in the outer law, that demonstrates two things. It demonstrates that you don't have the new covenant at work in you. 
Well, I'm under grace. No, you're not. If you were under grace, the law would be working inside of you and nobody would have to tell you, stop swearing. You would know. If, the, if you were really under grace, the grace would cause you to know, don't be rude to people. Don't swear at people. Don't try to destroy people. Don't try to kill people. But I know I'm free now. No, you're not free. If you were free, you wouldn't be doing these. But the fa- this is what Jesus said. He said, anyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The servant of sin. So he said, you guys, you Pharisees said, well, we're, we're not born of fornication. We are free. No, you're not. It's kind of like that, that, that Seinfeld episode where, you know, Jerry goes to, a, you know, he goes to a, a, a car counter. He's going to rent a car. And he goes up there. He said, I have a reservation. He said, he said, oh, yeah, well, we have no cars. He said, but I have a reservation. And he said, well, yeah, but there's, there's no more cars here. He said, well, isn't the point of a reservation to have a car here? She says, I know what a reservation is. He said, evidently you don't. <laughs> the work of the new covenant is God's nature taking shape inside of you. And when that's not the case, then you have the law to tell you what's right and wrong. But when you know it's right, you don't need the law to tell you anymore. That's how it's made obsolete. Not because it's non-existent, not because it doesn't apply, because you don't need it anymore. When I run and I don't need crutches anymore, or I don't need help, or I, you know, when I'm a little kid, I don't need my mom's hand. I don't need my mom's hand because I can run. If I'm still stumbling, then I need my mom's hand. So being under the law, anyway, I, I, I can't go too deep into this, but God wants to put his nature inside of you. So it eliminates, uh, or it points out the weakness of the law. It eliminates the exclusivity of the law. But it, it brings a unique kind of freedom. And let me give you one more illustration around that freedom. When I was, uh, when I was a young kid, well, I was 17, graduated from high school, I graduated early. I was brilliant. <laughs> Actually, I barely stumbled through high school. But I just happened to, by accident, take enough French courses to, uh, to be able to graduate a half a semester early, which is an accident. <laughs> but, but anyway, I, t- I got this job, and I go to the job, and uh, as you know, first day on the job, you don't know what to do, right? So, so I give, I'm given this one of this, this sort of blanket thing. I want you to keep the lumber yard neat. And so anyway, a uh, couple days later, I'm sitting there, and I'm just hanging around the store, you know, the inside of the store. And, and the boss says, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just waiting for something to do. He said, well, what about the lumber yard? Oh, yeah, I, it's done. So I, we go out there, and he says, well, what, what about this? And there's all this, you know, pile of two-by-fours. It's all, you know, stacked and broken pieces, and it's just a, a mess. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess I could do that. And he, sort of, so he takes me around to about five or six or seven things as simple as that, you know, garbage piled up, you know, in a trash bin right next to it. It's like, you know, maybe you could take these things and put them in here. 
uh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? I mean, it was, it was humiliating, you know, that I didn't think of that, that I couldn't see that. But worse yet, two weeks later, I was still having to be told things like that, maybe not quite so obvious, but only marginally more elusive. I was not impressed with myself, and uh, somehow that, that, that job became uh, redundant, and I was let go. <laughs> See, if you understand how a lumberyard works, if you understand the way sh- things can be or should be, you don't have to be told what to do. The law is the, is the version of these things that tells you what to do. The new covenant is where you come into a place where you know what to do. And you do it. And if you don't know what to do, you fall back to the law that says, this is what you should have done. Now, why do we need leadership in the church? That's a little more complex idea, and I'm not going to be spending a long time, maybe just a few minutes. But let me give you a sight a few versions of what the apostles did, right? Despite the fact of all these promises, despite the fact that, you know, God's going to be your God and he's going to put his law in your heart and, and you know, and nobody have to say to you, know the Lord. And you have an anointing that you don't need anybody to teach you because the Holy Spirit himself teaches you. Yet... You have the apostles saying what should be done. You have the apostles saying what shouldn't be done. You have, to, you have them telling you the values. You have, to tell, you have them saying these are the things that are consistent with the New Testament. And, and why is that? Because we continue to need voices because we are not completely free from the Old Testament. We're not completely free from our sin nature. And we tend to lie to ourselves sometimes. So we have, we have these, these moments where uh, things like this are written. Let me just find it. But this know that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Those are a lot of bad things, right? See, if you have the nature of God inside of you, you just don't do these things. You just don't. You don't need the list that says, these are bad. Killing people, not so good. Right? Somebody has something, a nice car, don't take it. (laughs) Right? They paid for that. That's theirs, the private property. Right? So even, even in our culture, you see the rollover, the influence of transformation as we grow up with certain values. And values that we receive are reflections of, of who God is. And they are contained in the law, but now nobody needs to tell us largely, do this, don't do this, you know? They're just part of our culture. Because our culture has been affected by the knowledge of God. So he says, having a form, these ones, uh, headstrong, uh, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people run away. 
For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's interesting. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 8. Now as Jans and Jambers resisted Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to to all as theirs was also. And that's that's what we're believing. I'm believing that right now, let me just say, for our culture. You know, when I and I, I'm trying to do more social commentary issues because I think it's a part of affecting our culture, right? We, you, a lot of things we have to write about today to say, hey, this doesn't make sense. People a hundred years ago just knew it didn't make sense, and if you said it, they would say, you're, you're crazy. Okay. Now our universities are teaching things that a hundred years ago we would have said, that's just nonsense. Okay. So, so the effect of the word of God at work in us has this trickle-down effect so that it, it filters out and affects culture, and it can get to the point where the culture starts to embody those values such that they don't even have to be taught. They're just widely accepted norms. Now, what we're seeing is some of those widely accepted norms are diminishing. Why? Because the church has not, we haven't done the trickle-down. Partially because we haven't, we haven't reinforced the transformation that we're meant to be coming into. Now, uh, he's saying specifically here, said there's a, there's a breed of person that is coming whose agenda is very specifically to bring discord and division to the people of God. He said, and, and if you look into 1 John and other places, there's people like that right now, okay? They, they function in an antichrist spirit, he says. And so what we apostles and pastors, leaders are, we're not here taking the place of the Holy Spirit, but we are here testifying to what the Holy Spirit would be saying if he was speaking. So if somebody rises up and says, yeah, I love God, but you hate your brother, the apostle comes along and then says, yeah, actually, that's not possible. Because if the nature of God was working inside in you and you truly loved God, then you would love your neighbor. You would love your brother. And so, now that he, in reality, we should think, well, that should be obvious. Nobody should actually have to tell people that, yet the apostles are still telling people that. Why? Because even though we have access to the high priest, even though we have access to the knowledge of God, so we be changed and, and that the law of God can become part of our being and our desires will be transformed to be like his, we don't necessarily always do it at the same pace. And so the leadership of the body of Christ in terms of apostolic prophetic ministry is there to say, if, if you really were following God, you wouldn't be doing this. Right? That's how Jesus did it. He said, he said to the Pharisees, he said, uh, he said if, if you, because they were saying, we know God, we know God. He said, yeah, well, if you know God, you would know me. So, eh. do you know that that's, that's how he did it? He didn't offer any outside proofs. He just wasn't, he just knew. No, I know the nature of God, and it's not the nature of God to kill people, and you're trying to kill people, mainly me. So you don't know God. Well, how can you judge me like that? Well, it's very easy, let me tell you. It's crystal clear. So God is doing this work inside of us. And the pace of our transformation is dictated by hunger, 
desperation, humility. But there's still going to be a different pace in us. But we still, even, even if, if some are further ahead than others, we testify to one another as to the goodness of God, God's plan, God's desire to change you. And it tells you, look at, also, I have these things inside of me that I love to do that I know that are wrong. How can I get over this? How can this be changed? The same way that Chris was saying earlier, you know, he didn't have a passion for God. He was found the, the word of God dry at times. And he found, listen, if I, I, I pushed through it by pushing through it. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it's kind of like this. When somebody slaps you on the cheek, do you feel like offering them the other cheek? Not really. Not at first. But Jesus said, do it anyway. If somebody compels you to go one mile, go two. If somebody wants your tunic, give them your coat also. Why? <laughs> because you're going against the grain of the desires that you know are wrong. And you are mortifying them. You are putting them to death. Is it easy? No. But it's kind of like this. It's like, if I work out, I'll get bigger muscles. Is it easy? No. If I don't eat as much fat, greasy cake, I won't, I'll, get, I'll be in better shape and I'll be, feel better and I'll have more energy. Is it easy? No. Why? Because you're always pushing against desires. Is it the law to push against desires? No, it's just common sense. To not be governed by things. That's not legalism. That's not the law. That's just common sense. So, Father, today, I pray that we can increasingly come into this new covenant. This new covenant is a place where we become partakers of the nature of God. And nobody needs to tell us, don't do that, because we just don't do it. And if we do do it, we know it's wrong. And we repent, and we hold ourselves accountable. So, Father, I pray, we want that kind of transformation. Not only just parts of our life, not, you know, sometimes we do that, Lord, in, in one area, but not in an er another area. We want it in all of our lives. Father, I pray that we could do that in the area of worship, that we could do it in the area of intercession, and that we can do it in the area of caring for one another, that we can do it in the area of, of being benevolent and generous, that we can do it in the area of forgiveness and graciousness and kindness and gentleness. It's our desire, Lord, to be like you. You said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Tall order, humanly impossible. But this is the promise that we receive in Jesus' name. Anyway, that's a little bit of a snapshot of the contrast between these two covenants and the part they play things. You know, the beauty about the new covenant is understanding the value of the old covenant. The value of the law is to say this is not good. But if, only, if all you have is the law that says, and this is not good, you're left with just feeling bad about yourself when you realize you're doing the wrong thing. I don't want you to languish in that place where you're just feeling bad. I want you to move into the new covenant. 
Maybe you're here today and you, you don't know the Lord as your Savior. And maybe you want to become a Christian. There's a point where you say, yeah, I want to become a Christian. You become born again. There's a time when God ignites something in your spirit. But then there's the walking out of that. And what basically what we're saying is, God, I want your nature inside of me. I want your law inside of me. I want to be governed by who you are. I, I believe that you're a good God and that everything you do is just the right way. And I want to know how to do things the right way. But if you want to come and say to God, Lord, I, I want more of this. I want your law at work inside of me. I want to be free. This is what we're saying collectively today, corporately. God, I want this. Father, we thank you that this is the promise that the promise you've given us is of transformation and freedom is, a, is better than all the old promises. That means, Lord, that it's, it, it contains them and more. Everything that Israel experienced plus. So, Lord, we, we want to enter into all these things. So we say yay and amen to you in Jesus' name. So go in the peace of God. Love one another today. Bless one another.